For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary. Joining me today is Angie Kennard, whose late father fell victim to a romance scam. Angie's father lost $750,000. Welcome, Angie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing your story. It really is, I think, important for our audience and people all around the world to become aware of these schemes. And I'm sure it's not easy every time you have to revisit what happened, but definitely very honorable of you to be here. So just to get started, how did you become aware of the scheme? Since this didn't happen to you, it happened to your father. What was kind of the first tip off that something was awry? Well, my dad was living in Arizona on the West Coast at the time. I live in Virginia on the East Coast, and so I didn't get to see him very often. But he was divorced, and he started to mention an online relationship that he had and, you know, gave me her name and just some background. And eventually I said, well, have you ever met her? You know, are you going to fly out to see her? Is she going to fly out to see you? And time just continued to pass, and he never actually met this lady in person. So I became skeptical, right? And then my uncle, who also lives in Arizona, was telling me that my dad was sending this lady money. And her name was Mary Blake. Her email address was maryblake123 at yahoo.com. And really what ended up happening is over a period of about four years, this person on the other end just deepened the relationship. And they started with the fact that they were in London abroad on a project, a construction project. And, you know, of course, they said that because my dad used to be in the construction industry. He was an engineer. He worked on the metro system in D.C. He did a lot of construction work like that was his career. And so she said that or they said that they were in London on a project and they couldn't get out of the country, that they needed some help. You know, the first request was just a couple of hundred dollars. You know, the second request was a couple thousand dollars. And then the increments just kept increasing from that point over time. They would write him love letters. And my dad was a lonely older man and, you know, thought he was in love with this person. And they went as far as to say they had a daughter. So, you know, they would play into his emotional side. They would say that she was coming to visit. And then, you know, he would show up at the airport with a teddy bear for her daughter and the person would never show up. So after probably a year of this happening and I learned of the magnitude of it, I said to my dad, I think you're being scammed. You've got to do something about it. And he just refused to listen to me. He refused to believe that it was a scam because that's how deeply connected he felt to this other person on the other end. And again, it was just really text messages and emails. That's the only contact that he had with that person. At that point, I sent a cop to his house. The cop interviewed him briefly because he basically shut the door on them and turned them away because he, again, didn't believe that this was a scam. And then there was one point in time where I went to visit And I went through his emails and I saw the magnitude of his emails. I actually dug into some of his financial records and saw that it had been, you know, several hundred thousand dollars at that point. And so I filed an Internet crime investigation. It took time for the FBI to reply to me. I actually submitted a second request online. I think the online relationship started in 2012 And it wasn't until 2015 that the FBI contacted me and actually said that I helped them 
lock up a whole group of scammers that had been basically conducting this romance scheme on many other elderly people. And so it was a massive case. And at the point in time where I went through all my dad's records, finally, it was about 750000 that I could see, right? There's probably more than that, but of the records that I could find. Yeah, that is just devastating to anybody. A little bit about maybe the ring. What did you learn about how these rings operate? And is there anything that you think is important for listeners to know? They definitely are scattered across multiple geographical locations. It may be actually different people communicating with my father. It may not have been the same person every time. They are sophisticated because what I learned going through the process in court is that they set up multiple bank accounts and legal entities and they transfer the funds around so that there isn't a good traceable record in case they do get caught. And they're sophisticated. So they turned my father who, you know, I'm his only child with, you know, my mom and they turned him against me. They basically said to him that I just want his money when he dies and that I need to let him live. And he started to get angry with me as I was kind of probing into the situation. They're sophisticated. They know what they're doing. They will attach to anything, again, like the construction project situation that they used. They clearly fed into the fact that my dad was an engineer and had worked on construction in the past. And they would play into the fact that he was giving them advice and trying to help them. And then they used the sob story of the fact that they had a daughter and that they couldn't get out. And they promised they were going to pay every penny back. And it would just be excuse after excuse. So all I have to say is that they're sophisticated. They know exactly what they're doing. They manipulate minds. And it's sickening, quite honestly. It really is. And it's just terrible. So on the court case front, how did that proceed? And were you able to get the money back? No, it's interesting. The trigger for evidence for the evidence chain was an attachment that my dad had emailed. He actually emailed this person, Mary Blake, a puzzle, a crossword puzzle for her daughter. And that attachment was forwarded from one person to the other person that was like making the money transactions happen. And that's kind of the trail that allowed the FBI to kind of find more evidence because of the fact that they move their money around to all of these different accounts. They set up different like management structures behind LLCs, and they literally have hundreds of different business entities that they transfer these funds around to. It makes it very difficult for the FBI to get a hold of their assets by the time it was all said and done. Again, this started, this relationship with my father started in like 2012. The sad part about this all is that my dad had a stroke in the 2015 timeframe. And that's when I really got to see kind of the impact because I had to clear out his apartment of what had happened. And he had a stroke. And needless to say, he forgot everything that had occurred. He didn't even remember Mary Blake at that point in time. So now I'm digging through paperwork to find out what happened. But what I would say is that the impact of this is so significant because he stopped taking care of himself. He was to the point where he was in debt. You know, by the time I kind of went through his apartment and his paperwork, he had over like $50,000 worth of credit card debt. He was eating ramen noodles. He was looking for a job. 
So they had taken his very last penny of life savings. And my dad was, you know, in his 80s when he passed away, but he had a stroke. And then I moved him back to Virginia. And it was when I had put him in a home in Virginia when the FBI finally contacted me in that 2015 timeframe. So it took a course of like, you know, three or four years for the FBI to conduct their investigation, which is understandable because the traceability was very difficult. And not only that, but it wasn't just my dad that was the victim. There were hundreds of other elderly victims that were being scammed by this group of Nigerian scammers. And I think they're still out there, quite honestly. You know, we caught many of them, like 20 of them through this particular case. But after the court case and after they were convicted, I was still checking my dad's email and they were still sending him emails. So that's how you know it's like different people that are involved in this whole scheme and they just are so well organized. There's just so many layers to this and just a lot of different ways to go. But, you know, kind of looking back on what transpired, were there any, aside from your uncle kind of, or his brother tipping you off on what was happening in retrospect, are there other tips or areas of advice that you have for people with elderly parents that are living states away and are still kind of on their own, but perhaps susceptible to something like this? I mean, I definitely have a lot of personal regrets in terms of not getting involved sooner in his financials and having, you know, a good financial advisor for him that he was consulting with on a regular basis. I mean, my dad was a pretty sophisticated investor and owned his own commercial construction business. So he's a smart guy. I mean, he gave me all of my financial advice. He put me through college. He always told me never a lender or a borrower be. And you just would never think that this would happen to somebody that was so intelligent. And I think over time, especially when you're far away from your parents, it's hard to understand the state of their mental health and well-being. I actually sent him to a doctor with my uncle to have him evaluated. And the doctor said that mentally he was okay. I tried working with lawyers to see if I could get like guardianship or conservatorship to control his finances. And they wouldn't allow me because the doctor said that mentally he was okay. And it just shows you like how manipulating these people can be to take a lonely elderly, you know, just take advantage of the situation and completely have them believing that there's a real woman on the other end of this transaction. Right. We deal with this a lot in our practice, and we see very often that even once somebody has decided that they want to cease the relationship, they want to figure out who it is, they want to bring charges, there's still that piece of them always that was so manipulated that they truly have to almost mourn the loss of a relationship. And we see that time and time again, because as you've said, it is so realistic. And I think what's interesting about your case and your father's case is just looking at some of the emails that are kind of available open source. This was kind of pre-chat GPT and pre all that. And this ring really was convincing, speaking in full English. Those telltale signs were not there. So I really, again, applaud you for hanging with the FBI and getting a break in the case to at least bring down 20 of the hundreds of people that are probably doing this. Yeah. When I went back and read through some of the emails, you could see signs of like double commas. You could see signs of grammar inconsistencies, but it's hard to detect. But there are some signs there. And then I just think that the way in which the scammers were asking my dad for money, 
there would always be a new reason. And he would sometimes send the money through money orders. Sometimes he would go to his bank and do wires. Sometimes the bank wouldn't let him do the wires. So then he would go back and do multiple money orders. So I think to the extent that you can have an eye on your parents' finances or at least have an independent party, have an eye on their finances to help them and do that early on. I mean, again, my dad was in his 80s. I definitely think that there was some sort of dementia or something there that was underlying that I couldn't figure out. And clearly the doctor couldn't figure out. But I think doing it, getting him more involved earlier when your parents are in their 60s or 70s while they are in the right mental state is very important. Otherwise, it's just hard to kind of regain control of the situation. Right. What do you think about this area of fraud as starting to be named pig butchering? Do you think that's a fair analogy to what happens in these cases and what happened to your father? Yeah. And I've heard the term. And I think the sad part is that the volume and the amount of this type of fraud scheme is increasing. It is not decreasing at this point in time. It's still increasing. There was a statistic given in a recent meeting I had with the FBI that it's around $3.1 billion per year against elderly romance scams, and they consider elderly kind of 60 years or older. The average loss is around 35000 per person. And again, you know, my dad lost 750000 at least when it's all said and done. But there is this term of pig butchering that's used, I think, that applies to broad scams, whether it's crypto scams, whether it's other, you know, fake tax return calls, whether it's like help desk situations, or whether it's these online romance scams that is just continuing to rise because of the level of sophistication of these cyber criminals. It is like a career to them. They are professionals in cybercrime. And they have figured out different ways to kind of manipulate the system. And our technologies are kind of getting caught up to how to detect these situations. But unfortunately, I think some of these patterns are just hard to detect at this point in time. And it involves everyone from the banks and the financial institutions to financial advisors to kind of everyone, including myself as a child, so an elderly parent, to really be vigilant about what could possibly happen or what could be happening. And it's just really sad to see that it's hard to control this and we haven't gotten our arms around it yet as a country, as a nation. I agree. And the global cooperation that's required in some of the cases as well just adds even more complexity. Are you hopeful that our nation and the world will kind of come around and find solutions to this? Or do you think that cybercrime will just evolve as we evolve? I'm hopeful. I think it takes awareness, which is why I'm here with you today doing this podcast. And as horrible as it is and as emotional as it makes me every time I kind of share my personal story, it frustrates me and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen to other people. And so I think that we have to continue to increase the awareness. You know, I think the media can help and obviously technology and kind of the controls and the financial controls that we can put in place across the entire value chain to make this happen. And that goes for the legal system and the lawyers to the doctors that I had reached out to multiple doctors, multiple lawyers. I reached out to, you know, all the banks that my dad had and tried to stop this. But unfortunately, they wouldn't talk to me specifically because this person had convinced my dad to remove me from all of his accounts at that point. Well, as we conclude here, do you have any final thoughts or anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to express? 
I would just say that my final thought is to get involved early, be vigilant, ask for help, help your parents or your elderly loved ones change their passwords often, keep them off of internet sites that just aren't appropriate or could be fraudulent, and continue to try, like reach out to anyone and everyone. Ultimately, it was the support of a elderly network group that helped make the push to get an FBI agent to finally contact me back. So you have to kind of try multiple routes and just be persistent. That's great advice. And thank you again for joining us. For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary, Partner and Chief Strategy Officer at Fortalist Solutions. Joining me today was a woman whose late father fell victim to a romance scam. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com.